0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, February 25th, we're studying Mark chapter 9, verses 38-50. through 50. Even seemingly small acts of kindness toward Christ's disciples are counted as great in the kingdom of God, and even seemingly small sins must be dealt with in all their seriousness in the kingdom of God. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Mark Bars. Pastor Bars serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, welcome back to Sharp Ryan.
1: Thank you. Good morning, Pastor Apple. Great to be with you again today.
0: As we get started this morning, Pastor Bars, let's talk context. How does this text fit into the broad context of the gospel according to St. Mark?
1: Well, the first thing that needs to be observed is really the hinge of Mark 8, not because it's the center of 16 books, but because it, it takes us from the first passion prediction of Christ in the, in the gospel of Mark and then leads directly into the transfiguration. So Christ says at the end of chapter 8 that he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days, rise again. And this is when, when Peter takes him aside and says, no, no, Lord, this is, this is not the right way to go about it. He rebukes him. Jesus, in turn, rebukes Peter, get behind me, Satan. So everything is changing in focus. The, the clarity of our Lord's mission is becoming clearer. He's saying that, and his disciples are wrestling with that. And, and we, too. I mean, it is the Lenten season even though this text is not usually included in the Lenten pericopes or or scriptures for any of our, our Lenten Sundays or midweek services, it, it does tell us that that this is where Christ is going, where he, where he must go. And and all of this, all of this is teaching us what the kingdom of God is about, what our Lord's mission is about, how serious it is, and his call to discipleship, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And that certainly is a strong and important Lenten theme.
0: Yeah, the theme of the being a disciple of Christ here in this section of Mark, this hinge section, which really gets started, as you said, back in chapter eight. And there's even a bit of a, an extended hinge, if I can say it that way, until you get to Palm Sunday in chapter 11. There's this middle section that's really teaching the disciples about discipleship, about what it means to follow Jesus. And we're seeing that theme ever since Jesus really very explicitly and plainly for the first time. he's done it twice now, has said what he's going to do there in Jerusalem. So in terms of that immediate context then, this section from the end of eight all the way till through the end of chapter 10, what in that immediate context will help us with the verses we have for today?
1: Well, the immediate context will be that after that first passion prediction, uh, there is the call to take up the cross and to follow him, what it means to be a disciple, what What will you lose and what will you gain? We'll hear that particularly when we hear in part of our portion of scripture today about your hand or your eye or your foot causing you to sin. And then as we've moved into chapter nine, there is as well an exorcism, a young boy who is possessed by an unclean spirit, and that very much seems to be how our section of scripture, our portion of scripture today begins, because there's Conversation about who's who can do this, who can who can have uh, the power to to act and to speak in in Christ's name, and so once more that is followed by the death and resurrection, the second passion prediction in Mark, and then the question about who is the greatest, and we have to maybe uh, wonder how we would have responded ourselves, being some of Jesus disciples, his students, his closest students, spending these almost three years or about three years with him. And, and yet the dynamics of of who's who has what ability and who has another ability and the sons of Zebedee who want to have the the places at the left and the right hand. So all of this is is real for us. I think it can be and should be should be real for us. Not just a history lesson, not just not just looking back and saying, well, what the disciples think, what did they do? But But how are we hearing the call of Christ to come and to follow me, to take the cross and and go with him on this journey of faith?
0: It's this is one of those sections, particularly in Mark's gospel, where the failures of the disciples are highlighted in multiple ways. I mean, and we've we've really seen it throughout the gospel, but in this hinge section, you know, you have Peter taking Jesus aside, rebuking him. You've got the three inner circle. They go up the mountain, and they don't. They don't get what's going on at the transfiguration. You've got the other nine who've been down the mountain in the meanwhile and were unable to cast out the demon. As you said, the previous text, they didn't understand the second time Jesus predicted his passion and they don't even ask him about it. I mean, I just over and over, we're going to see this continue. But but as you said, it's something that we should pay attention to as well. And I think it it provides, at least I know it provides me a, a measure of comfort because there are times where Jesus will ask his disciples, you know, didn't you understand this? And I'm reading like, well, no, I, I didn't. And it, it's nice to see or it's encouraging to see that I'm not alone in that. That that even those men who are with him at the moment didn't quote get it. And so the Lord is going to show mercy to me as well when I don't get it.
1: And how wonderful it is too of uh, the example that he uses. He will in our in our portion of scripture, he'll speak of of the, the little one but just just before this he takes a child and he uses a child as an example of of being a humble servant and to receive a child. There there's there's issues in, in any culture about how we rank everyone and who's important and who's who's smart enough, who's capable enough. And he uses the child to say, Receive this child in my name. This is this is what it means to as we as we would leap past this into chapter 10 when jesus welcomes the little children to him and says this is how you come into the kingdom of god you you enter like a child it's 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 a lesson that the disciples finally get of course pentecost is huge to to understand that the spirit is given to guide them into all truth but so important for us as well to know to know who we are called as and and how we are how we are both disciples and servants to others.
0: In terms of the text that we have today, I think there's some familiar material to us, but it's not arranged in the way that maybe we're used to, say, from St. Matthew or from St. Luke. As you think about the verses that we have today and just the overall structure of it, the ESV and, and most English translations are going to have headings. How should we structure this text that we've got today?
1: Well, I think it's it's appropriate to use those, knowing that they're additions to the text, even as the verse numbers are, which we find very helpful to sort things out and, and find sections or verses or phrases in Scripture. Uh, I think as we as we continue to look at this today, we might wonder and make our own titles in some way. And and I wonder about the first one, anyone not against us is for us, is what the ESV says before verse 38 as a as a paragraph heading. But it seems to be what does it mean to use the name of Jesus and to be connected and to be connected to the name of Jesus, which which is so very important uh, as as it is still today when when we are when we are baptized into the name of the triune God when we when we speak the name of Jesus in prayer and, and the temptations to sin i i would suggest that maybe another another title for that might be uh, the absolute call of the kingdom you know yes yes these are about about things that will tempt us and we'll talk more about that about the heart as as the as the source of all of that but what is the what is the absolute call of the kingdom, that, that Christ is speaking then and still speaking now through his word and through his church.
0: Mm-hmm. It's always nice to, I mean, the the headings that are put there, they're not bad by any means, but it, when we look at them, sometimes they can color our view of the text before we've actually read it. And so it's always good to, to take a look at that. What does the text actually say? And maybe sometimes to, to just change the perspective to make sure we're keeping the main thing, the main thing. So the absolute call of the kingdom, let's, let's try to keep that in view. Let's go ahead and read the text that we've got today. This is Mark nine, beginning at verse 38, John said to him, to Jesus teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. That's our text for today, Mark 9, 38 to 40. Pastor Bars, the text starts with John, one of the three inner disciples of Jesus. He's just been up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James. It's a bit unusual to see John doing something all by himself, Typically, he's paired with his brother, James, but here he is. He's the one that that speaks. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him. He was not following us. As you said, I wonder if there's a bit of well. And of course, John wasn't down the mountain. He wasn't among the nine who had failed to cast out the demon earlier in this chapter. But I wonder if that's a little bit in the background here.
1: I wonder if it is. I wonder if it is as well. And, and the fact that, that John, maybe he says, we saw someone. It's not a, I saw someone, I was over there and the other ones were busy. But we all observe this, seems to be speaking for for the disciples. And, and the question would be, are the disciples still unclear about their role and, and where Christ is going? And is this part of that reaction? And if someone is doing some things that, aren't part of the official cadre part of the commissioned people of god these called to directly follow me come and follow me are they unclear are, are they are they being obstinate are they trying to defend jesus are they are they saying well we we want the good things to happen in, in the right way by the right by the right people or are they and maybe this is just to let us all wonder about this are they simply asking for greater clarification is this is this one of those places where it's not peter rebuking but it's but it's john saying help us understand what what is going on here and and it is interesting that we tried to stop him and 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 the sense the sense of that is it was an ongoing it wasn't a stop that right now it was it was attempting and, and it didn't work. And, and yet we still, and yet we still tried, we tried to hinder him. We tried to hinder is, is a key word. I think there I, to stop him is how it's translated in the, in the ESV because hinder is the same, is the same word that Jesus will use. This, this Greek word is the same word that he will use when he says a little bit later in chapter 10, mm. let the little children come to me. Do not, do not hinder them. They're trying to hinder. It seems for a good reason, but but Jesus needs to needs to sort it out for them. Back in back earlier in this chapter, when when it is this spirit that couldn't be cast out, Jesus says, "When when he's asked if you, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us." The Father, whose whose son gets thrown into the fire. And Jesus answers, "If you can, all things are possible for one who believes." Perhaps this someone is doing just that. Hmm. All things are possible for one who believes that there is great power in speaking the name of Jesus. He, he's not. He's not trying to blaspheme. He's not. He's not trying to appropriate something that that isn't accessible and shouldn't be accessible. He simply believes that that the name of Jesus has great power and the disciples, perhaps let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, are, are, are trying to make sure that things are done correctly and by the, as, as I said before, by those who are called and, and commissioned to do this. So then Jesus says, no, don't stop, don't hinder him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. It's, it's not really a lot of head scratching going on right here, but it's, don't you understand that if he does this in faith and uses my name, he won't speak evil of me and of, and of the kingdom and of the, of the cause of Christ. And then Jesus uses John's own language of saying us, because he was not following us in verse 40 when he says for the one who is not against us is for us it's interesting because because at other times at other times jesus will speak in, in the gospel of matthew when he's accused of being a beelzebub or possessed by beelzebub the prince of demons there he will say this is in matthew chapter 12 whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters but jesus is teaching the disciples and for the one who is not against us is for us he is he is a servant as just just as you are servants as well
0: hmm. yeah I, I think to let's be careful about not assigning too many motives to John and the others here. It It is very easy to view them negatively. And I, I think Mark gives us some cause to do that. Uh, you know I mean? I, without, but yeah, they, they could just be asking for information and, and I think it does flow even from what was there previously. They've just been having this conversation. Who's the greatest among us among the 12. And now it, it seems that the conversation is shifting outside of their group a little bit. Well, what about, What about the people who are using your name, Jesus? How do they factor into this conversation as well? And Jesus does give this answer that's uh, inclusive, I guess, is the way that I would, would think about it, that those who are using his name correctly, not blaspheming it, they are on the same side not like, and I think, I think you're right to connect it to what the Pharisees, the scribes have said previously and Mark as well about Jesus being connected to Beelzebul and Jesus reserves some pretty strong language for them. He talks about the sin against the Holy spirit and that being unforgivable when, when they are connecting his work to the work of the devil that they've got it totally wrong. That's the other side. But for these people, whoever they are, that are, you know, this one who's casting out demons in Jesus name in faith, presumably. And it, which is again, somewhat ironic because the disciples have not gotten it. They didn't have that faith. It seems previously he's on their side. And so don't, don't stop him. I, the, the passage that comes to my mind is in Philippians chapter one, where Paul talks about those who preach Christ. And, and he says, you know, some preach Christ out of envy and some preach Christ in sincerity. And and he says, you know, I, I don't particularly, you know, I, I understand that I'm going to flip to it. So I don't misquote it. <laughs> Philippians chapter one, Paul says this, he says the the former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. So, I mean, you've got this example that I think it seems that these two relate that yes there are those that may proclaim Christ and may use his name with some with some ulterior motive paul's able to rejoice that christ is still proclaimed i don't know that that's exactly what's going on here but jesus is is instructing his disciples look when my name is being used in a holy way the this first petition of the lord's prayer this is cause for for rejoicing don't don't try to stop that
1: and and just as jesus is Showing extreme patience with the disciples in in their own understanding and their own confession. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And in all of those ways, and, and it seems to me that there's also this this teaching them to saying, "Be patient with this man. Mm-hmm. Be patient. Watch his discipleship grow." We, we know when we read to the read the book of Acts that the number of disciples increases by ten times a- after. After Easter and after our Lord's Ascension, the twelve are now 120. Perhaps this unnamed man here in Mark chapter nine is one of those gathered gathered in Jerusalem. That he has he has grown, and more than simply saying, "I wonder what happens." And I, I, we, like you said, we don't want to assign too many motives. But I don't think he was experimenting. I think he believed. He he believed that. All things are possible. And if the name of Jesus, not for his benefit, for the first, the, the one possessed. And I, I'd like to, I kind of skipped past this, but I, I was in, I'm intrigued by this one word that is used here. He is casting out demons. It's a, it's a word that we actually heard this past Sunday in, in the gospel reading for those, for those who are uh, using the, the, the series of Series B readings during the Lenten season, we heard about Jesus' baptism and then a, a rather abrupt change of, of scene, uh, rather dramatic, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. It's the same word as casting out the demons. And, and there's somebody that you know, maybe perhaps better than I do, Professor James Veltz, in his, in his work, he translates that, that the Spirit threw him out into the into the wilderness that that that's just the strong action but it's it's that word that is happening here it it's it, it's a word i i just i get sort of go down a rabbit hole sometimes when i'm when i'm doing this thinking about this but i find that same word it's it's in the book of acts when when the uh, paul is on the ship going to rome and they're in the storm and they end up crashing and having a landing at Malta, but it says they it says in Acts 27 they had to jettison the cargo. Mm. It's the same word. They were just throwing it out. But but what a the unclean spirits don't deserve and don't require timid treatment. Mm. They they must be thrown out. And this man here in Mark 9 threw him out and did so by using the strong name of Jesus.
0: Hmm. I think that that thought, which is this quite a vivid picture, the idea of throwing out the demon, that the demons don't require the timid treatment or the gentle treatment, treatment, that does stand in contrast with the picture that Jesus gives for the way the disciples should treat this man, whoever he is, that... You know, it's, it's not that necessarily like he's got pure doctrine. It's not necessarily that he ne- doesn't need more teaching. He, I think he does, just like the disciples need more teaching. But there's a level of gentleness that is required, which I, I mean, I think this fits well in the context as we're going to talk about, you know, what do you do with the little ones in Christ? You do not lead them into sin, but you you give them a, a drink of water. At, I mean, what do we how do we treat our fellow Christians? with with gentleness with those who who rightly call in the name of christ in faith we treat them with gentleness not in a spirit of throwing them out but in a spirit of restoring them i mean i'm drawing here from other passages matthew 18 comes to mind when when someone is caught in a sin what do you do that the goal is to win the brother back and i think that same spirit is evident here you know, dear disciples, this man who's using my name correctly, don't seek to just cut him off, but seek to, to teach him, to give him the truth. Just like, just like Jesus would say, I'm doing for you, dear disciples. And, and whereas, well, what is it then in the disciples' life that needs that harsh treatment? Well, it's, it's not, I'm not going to look at the sin of someone else, and, and I'm going to be gentle with that. But when I look at my own sin, That's where the harsh, and I know it's not the same verb, but the the idea of cutting things off that's going to come up later when it comes to my own sin, that's where I need that harsh treatment when it comes to my fellow disciples, a spirit of gentleness seeking to restore.
1: And that's, I think, how verse 41 gets connected to this, that this simple action who gives to a follower of Christ a cup of water. It seems such a such a simple thing. Although with with all the weather that we've had here in South Texas and, and in lots of parts of the country, I mean, a, a cup of water is a really good thing. A cup of clean water uh, when when water has been has been out and pipes have been broken and uh, yeah, I delivered I delivered a, a case of water to one of our members the other day because of plumbing issues in in their apartment complex and. I just said, you know, it's, it's not much. No, this is really good. We need, we need some, we needed some water. And, and certainly keeping in mind uh, the words that Jesus will speak only in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man returns in his glory with his angels. And when you, what you did for this one, what you did for this one, feeding, clothing, giving to drink, visiting, you, you did this for me and and the reward I mean maybe that maybe that is a is a challenge to us as Lutheran Christians at times because we want to say it's all by grace it's all by grace and it is it's all by grace but but Jesus says there will be reward he will he will honor those who serve him and so saying back to John and to the other disciples be gentle mm-hmm. be gentle and I'll be gentle with you and you be gentle with this disciple. We don't know his name. We don't, we don't know anything more about him other than that he had faith and trust and confidence in the name of Christ and could use that for great blessing to a man possessed by a demon
0: and i think that one of the other things that connects 41 to the other to what we've been talking about is that you're giving a cup of water to drink because you belong to christ it's that name of christ that connects the two this this unnamed disciple is casting out G- demons in Jesus name. And now Jesus tells the disciples, if someone gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, it's not that we certainly Christians are called to love all people, Christians and non-Christians alike, but there is, there's something about showing love within the church to a brother who, who bears the name of Christ. And I know you've experienced this. I've experienced it as well. You, you meet someone who is a Christian and you may not have ever known them in any other way and yet there's that immediate connection because you belong to christ together and and i think that's in the background here as as well of what jesus is giving his disciples and and going forward so we're gonna pick up the rest of the text on the other side of the break you're listening to sharper iron looking at mark chapter 9 with pastor mark bars we'll be right back please stick around Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, February 25th. We're looking at Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. We have Pastor Mark Bars with us. He serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, prior to the break, we were looking at verses 38 through 41, particularly John's question that leads to Jesus teaching concerning the kingdom of God. And, and moving forward in verse 42 and following, we start to get some pretty strong language from Jesus. Before we jump into that, one of the things that you might notice when you're looking at the text is that it, there appear to be a couple of missing verses. There's no verse 44, there's no verse 46 in the text proper, at least of the English Standard Version. What's going on there?
1: This is one of those cases where it, it is, footnotes can be helpful, but... Footnotes in a Greek New Testament are are probably even more precise, and what it tells us, and biblical scholars who are much more astute about this than, than I am, would simply say that it seems as though a certain phrase was added in both, that became verse 44 and that became verse 46, and it isn't in the earliest manuscripts. Uh, one of the delightful things that I en- really enjoy talking about with people when about the efficacy and the and the trustworthiness of scripture are the are the multitude of manuscripts for, for the biblical text, exponentially beyond any other ancient literature. It, it's, it's wonderful. It, that doesn't prove that scripture is God's word. However, it, it does show that God wanted his word preserved, his written and revealed word preserved. And in the early manuscripts, for many centuries, those words weren't in there. Sometimes this happens, and it, you know it's just good to say if the verse numbers weren't there, we wouldn't miss it. Right. So we wouldn't we wouldn't know that there's a where did verse forty-four go, where verse forty-six go. It would the narrative would have just flown flowed by. But that's. That's the simple story of all of that.
0: That's right. And and the ESV footnote does make mention that what is in verse 44 and 46 is basically identical with verse 48. 48 so correct. it's not as if we're somehow missing words of Jesus or anything like that. We're simply recognizing that in certain manuscripts, perhaps the the copyist I skipped a a letter or saw it twice or something like that. And so that's, that's the reason there's no cause to doubt God's word from that. So with that in mind, then pastor bars, how does, how does what we've been talking about flow into verses 42 and following?
1: I think the link is verse 40 for the one who is not against us is for us. It is this matter of the absolute call of the kingdom and, and I'm going to take us back, take our hearers back just a little bit to, to John chapter 6. This is, this is after the feeding of the 5,000. John includes this extended conversation, and, and it ends this way in John chapter 6, verses 60 and 61. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said, do you take offense at this? Do you take offense at this? And what he is saying is, does this scandalize you? Now, when we hear the word scandal, we we think of, oh, some moral failing and somebody's been outed on the social media. And, and there are real scandals and there are kind of pretend pretend scandals that people get all hyped about, Ted Cruz going down to Cancun and and anything like that. So so people understand scandal, but in the scriptures, the New Testament word scandal is causing someone to sin or ultimately, and and I'll say it now, but I want to come back to it. Who is Christ? Is Christ the one who scandalizes? In John chapter six, he clearly is. But I remind you that a little bit later when it says, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And for those of us who, who use some settings of the divine service, we know that that's one of the ways that we are prepared to hear the gospel on certain Sundays as we as we sing or chant that as we sing or chant that together so what is the scandal uh, it is one who causes someone to sin to trip to fall the the original use of the of the word scandal was that it was it was if you can imagine, and some of some people would know this, if you grew up uh, if you grew up outdoors doing outdoors things, it's it's the stick that holds the trap open. Mm. and and when it's when it's knocked down, the trap falls, and the and the animal and the animal is captured inside. so so it becomes uh, metaphorically, it becomes an an image of what causes someone to be trapped in sin. and and the language that Jesus speaks here, is what would trap you? What might trap you? Would you even trap a little one, causing a little one to sin? Would you be entrapped by your hand or by your foot or by your eyes? So hearing it that way, and once more, knowing that the call of the kingdom, it's not its not a call to morality. It's, it's not a call to be nicer, better, more obedient people. It's a call to know our need for a savior and to know the one Christ crucified, who is a stumbling block. This is first Corinthians chapter one, who is a scandal to Jews and folly to Gentiles. And yet he is our very salvation. So what happens? Jesus, he had earlier, I, I mentioned as, as we began this, to put it in context, he uses a little one and in chapter 8, and he will welcome the little ones in chapter 10, so it shouldn't be any surprise that he uses little ones, micron, little, little ones who believe in me, who have trust in me, and how easily we can, unfortunately, reduce faith to being some cognitive understanding some some intellectual activity faith is trust faith is is clinging clinging to the one who who has done it all for us the one who has wrapped his arms around us has welcomed us and has has blessed us but it is it is that trust and the microns the the little ones they believe they believe just as a little one a little one in your family, your sons when they were younger, Tim, my children when they were younger, they, they knew who their parents were. They couldn't say our names, they couldn't explain that, but they knew, and and the trust that a little one has for, for his or her parents is a marvelous, marvelous thing, and it is a gift of God. So the one who believes in me, if you cause that one, if you set a trap for that one, it would be better that a large millstone, a great millstone, the 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 hand mill that the woman used in the village or outside their homes as they visited and and ground some meal for for the ground some grain to create some meal for their for the supper for the bread is one thing, but this is the millstone that an animal had to turn, a donkey or an ox, and. And maybe it seems as though it's extreme language that Jesus is using such extreme language. But once more, I would say it is an absolute call of the kingdom. It is truly a life or death matter. So throw that one, throw that one. It would be better for the one who sets the trap to be thrown, to be thrown into the sea, to have that millstone and and no escape, no escape. And then he continues. If your hand causes you to sin, if your hand entraps you, if your hand entraps you, it is better, cut it off, for it is better. It is excellent. Um, We use that that word, that little word can be uh, shades of everything from the good shepherd. uh, It's used in that way to, to sometimes I think it needs to be upped in its emphasis it is excellent. It is far better, a greater thing for you to enter life crippled than with two hands go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Now, we're going to hear that echoed. You heard, you heard it already when Pastor Apple, when you, when you read this for everyone, that phrases that do, that do repeat here. So the, the instances that our Lord uses in saying this, your hand And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better, it is a far better thing. It is excellent for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And thirdly, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. If it sets a trap for you, I'll use that language again. If it scandalizes you, if it sets a trap for you, it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye Rather than with two eyes be thrown into hell, and and here's something interesting that our English translations do, and it's just kind of the way we try to, I suppose, make it a little more understandable, or we think we are. When Jesus is saying this, he is saying into the Gehenna, the hell, into the fire, the unquenchable fire. The that by adding a definite article, it it really pushes the 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 emphasis of it it's it's not an abstract thing anymore it is it is it is reality it is it is sad and and yet it is true reality it is once more the absolute call of the kingdom hmm.
0: a couple of thoughts one is that what we were talking about earlier and the need for gentleness in approaching those who belong to Christ and this fellowship this communion that we share for those who you know this this unity that we have in Christ that gentleness that's necessary doesn't mean that it's not serious or doesn't mean that this isn't a big deal. This is a life and death matter. And so the the gentleness with which we treat a brother is also paired with the seriousness of sin. And and also, again, the seriousness of what I would use to trap another and then what would trap me. I like that image. I think that's a, a very helpful image to to get this idea of, you know, just this whatever causing one of these little ones to sin or something that causes you to sin that picture there is is very vivid what would trap you what would what would keep you from from faith again that trust that even the little one has as jesus begins this very vivid picture language the millstone hung around the neck and thrown into the sea body parts actually being cut off or gouged out how do we how do we understand this because I mean, Jesus' own disciples did not cut off their hands quite literally. They did not gouge out their eyes quite literally. What, what is the point that Jesus is making if, you know, you and I have not cut off body parts? What, what does he want us to do?
1: This, is, this doesn't stand alone in terms of all that our Lord speaks and all that, all that he teaches. He, he, will, he will say to the disciples in the upper room, on Monday, Thursday, he will say, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The the hate that will come upon us, that the body of Christ is experiencing and has always experienced. But he uses that same language to also talk about discipleship. So in, in Luke chapter 14, he says, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The absolute call of the kingdom. It is a matter of life or death. And I, the language that Jesus chooses to use here in Mark chapter nine has to be strong in that way to, to help us grasp that, that the blessing is great and 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 the opposite is great as well. the condemnation, the the damnation too, that that he would com- he would place amputation is better than damnation. it that's how great the kingdom is and those that those things that do entrap us and and we know, we know, we know as pastors, not just because we hear people tell it to us, we know. We know what it is to live in this world. One of the reasons why Jesus himself, who was tempted in every way, tempted we heard on Sunday, tempted in the wilderness, but tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. He knows, he knows the reality of of that that entrapment that is that is always there. And yet he does also point out it's not simply cutting off a hand or a foot or plucking out an eye, that's not going to solve the problem. Several times, it's out of the heart. When he's accused that that his disciples aren't washing their hands the way you're supposed to, they're not doing the ritual washings before their meals, he says, no, you don't understand. It's not the exterior. It's it's what comes out of the heart. And we have to read all of this together. We have to see all of these pieces about about hating the strong language of of hating our own family members if if that's what is contrasted with the love of Christ that he places in our hearts the spirit that the spirit works in our hearts and and that the sin that doesn't trap and and it causes us to reach out or or causes our our foot to stumble or take us toward a sin or the eye that that sees and 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 wanders and, and sees with envy or sees with greed or sees with lust that this is what pulls us away. And yet how good it is that the gift of our Lord's death for us, his certain forgiveness. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And yet he is faithful and just to forgive. And to give us His righteousness, to give us to to wear the righteousness of Christ.
0: The the hand, the foot, the eye is ultimately not the problem. It is the the heart. I, you you brought up the Mark seven text where Jesus says, you know, that that's where the evil comes from. It comes from within and and the only cleanness actually comes from Jesus himself and we've seen that throughout the gospel of mark as he is the the clean one the holy one who touches that which is unclean and unholy and he makes it clean he makes it holy and so the the ultimate thing that we need is is not a new hand or a new foot or a new eye but it is a new heart and i think it's it's the prophet ezekiel who who speaks of this language that the lord will take out that heart of stone and give us a, a heart of flesh uh, rather than a heart that is dead. We receive a heart that is alive in Christ. It's only in the the very next text where Jesus is confronted again by the Pharisees. And they're going to be talking about marriage and divorce. And Jesus is going to say, it's because of your hardness of heart. Hardness of heart is the real problem. And, and that's a, a solution that can be given only by our Lord Jesus Christ. We even, we even sing it in our offertory very regularly, create in me, a clean heart oh god all of that is to say that you know the matter of sin is very important it's very serious and and whatever it is that would entrap you take it with that seriousness all the while recognizing that the the solution must come from jesus he's the only one who can bring that rescue because he's the only one that can give the new heart
1: We're we're eight days after Ash Wednesday. I don't know how many of our hearers uh, w- went to their went to their churches. There were issues here in parts of Texas and other other places because of the cold and and all that. That we were only able to have a, a single service. We usually have several services on Ash Wednesday. But but to be marked on the outside and and uh, I didn't grow up with ashes. I, I I say I'm a Lutheran pastor's kid in the Midwest, and we did we did Ash Wednesday without ashes and Palm Sunday without palms. I like having both of them. I like having both of them. And, and here's, here's what always strikes me though. During the day after I've been marked, usually at a very early morning service, I, I either walk past a mirror or even a reflection. I think, what is that on my face? Or, or it, or it starts to, it starts to itch a little bit and I, and I touch and I smear myself. And, and this is, this is what this is what sin does. It, it gets all over us. And no, you don't need to receive ashes on Ash Wednesday to be a penitent. No, absolutely not. And we do pray with David create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Make me clean on the on the inside. And and we pray that we pray that over and over again. We we must and we do. And it is a prayer that is answered when when your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, when, when absolution is proclaimed, when we are set free once more, when the benefits of the cross are brought to us, when we are splashed with the water of baptism and, and washed and made clean, when we eat and drink our Savior's body and blood, given and shed for the forgiveness of sins, those hands that should be cut off uh, reach out, those, those feet walk us, Walk us to the altar to receive to receive our Lord's gifts, our very salvation.
0: As the text continues, verses 49 and 50, Jesus brings in the image of salt and fire together. This is one of those places where I think the imagery is familiar. We, we know from Matthew 5, Jesus tells his disciples, you're the salt of the earth. But it, it sounds like this is being used in a, a different way here. Help us with verses 49 and 50.
1: Well, the first thing to be said is that salt has many different, many different functions. Perhaps not in our world, our modern world. We think that salt is basically used to give th- some things some flavor. I, I just heard from one of our members, though, of of a of a, a relative who who isn't getting enough salt, and, and we think, oh, we add salt too much. But you need salt. It, it is a, a health. It is an issue of of the balance, the chemical balance that God created us fearfully and wonderfully in our bodies. Now, we do some salt. We use some of our soft water softener salt here at Crown of Life the last few days and sprinkle it on some of the sidewalks. Uh, so we do salt for that. But salt that preserves is, is such a strong image of scripture that, that salt makes things makes things last and to be salted with fire. One of the images that that I have rejoice to discover in this is how this combines sacrifice in the book of leviticus in chapter two it's it's maybe one of those things we've heard before or somebody's mentioned but the sacrifices the grains and the meats all those offerings are, are salted are salted and and then they are and then they are burned jesus is saying you will be salted with fire i'll connect this to romans chapter 12 where where Paul calls us living sacrifices, those those who who live, well, living sacrifice is about the the most the most contradictory statement that there can be yeah. to be living and to be a sacrifice, and yet we are we are ongoing signs of who Christ is and what Christ has done, and our lives, even as we are tempted, even as we struggle, even as The hand would entrap us and the foot would entrap us and the eye would entrap us. We rejoice that Christ was himself the sacrifice, that he took the fire of our condemnation when he went to the cross, that he was the ultimate, the once for all, the the never needed to be repeated, never can be repeated sacrifice where we are journeying during these Lenten days.
0: I think that, that connection to the sacrifice that you draw from Leviticus 2, and then my mind also was going to Romans 12, where, where Paul talks about how we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, I think is very fitting, given the, the context, all of, all of this matter of cutting things off. And what's what's better, amputation or damnation? I think it only can make sense in the context of the resurrection. That idea of being a living sacrifice. The the only way that I can I can do these things and take sin as seriously as I know is because I know that in Him I have the resurrection life. That that this body will be raised, immortal, incorruptible. And, and so the the worst thing that I can do is to to lose that. And and it only makes sense with the resurrection. And that reality of the resurrection that is to come on the last day influences the way that I live right now. And Jesus, I think really, you know, he, he, he continues this matter of salt, salt losing its saltiness. And then he says, have salt in yourselves. And then he, he defines it very concretely, which I think fits with where our conversation started. He says, be at peace with one another. Now, Pastor Bars, we have about three minutes here to, to cover that, to wrap things up. Give us the good news from the text this morning.
1: To be at peace with one another. Uh, Christ who is himself our peace. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two, he himself is our peace. He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, to Jew and Gentile, to, to all of us by by going to the cross. And and pulling this together too with the sacrifice once more. We heard this on Ash Wednesday, eight days ago, the, the epistle, for our sake. He, the Father, made him his son to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that we might have the peace, the peace that the world cannot give, John 14, 27, the peace that only Christ can give, the peace that he has won for us. And and this peace is ours because our Lord was the one who, though we are trapped in or 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 drawn towards sin that our Lord, our Lord's hands were pierced for our sins, for the sins all of my hands commit. And his feet were pierced with a spike for every sin that my feet would carry me to and, and you to as well. And our Lord's eyes stung with sweat and, and as blood dripped from that crown of thorns, as he hung on the cross, so that we do not need to tear out our eyes, but rather come let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfector of our faith.
0: Pastor Mark Bars serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, helping us this morning with Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. Pastor Bars, thanks for being our guest today.
1: My my pleasure to be with you and with our listeners this morning.
0: I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have questions about Mark chapter 9 or any of the gospel according to St. Mark, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.